Thank you very much, musicians and song leaders, and all you singers in the choir out there. Thank you very much. It's great to hear you sing. Um, it's good to be back. I've been away. It's been three weeks since I've been at Northbrook, and it feels like an eternity. In fact, I feel a little bit like a uh, guest speaker this morning, uh, although I recognize some of you. Uh, there are a few here that I don't recognize. We welcome you if you're visiting. And if you came, you started coming within the last three weeks when I've been missing, then please make yourself known to me. My name is Clyde, and I'm privileged today to be sharing the, the message of the gospel with you from the Word of God. I better put my glasses on here. This, this special speaker, it reminds me of a story. There was a, a, a visiting preacher that came into a church one day, and uh, they, the, the leadership asked him if he would please go and just talk to the children in the, in the grade four Sunday school class. So he went down to the grade four Sunday school class uh, while they were doing their thing downstairs and, and then the adults were singing upstairs. And, and, they, and he thought, what am I going to do with these little guys? So he said, I think I'll break the ice a little bit just by, by doing a little quiz with them. Children like quizzes, you know, and they, they like to give answers. So, so he says, I'm, I'm, you tell me what I'm thinking about. And he says, I'm thinking about a little tiny animal that likes to run around in the forest. And he's looking at the kids and nobody's answering. Okay, this little animal that runs around in the forest likes to climb up into the trees. Nothing, just like you guys. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you think of what it is, you, you just keep it to yourself. All right, so, so he's, he's saying, well, wait a minute. So this little animal that runs around in the forest and likes to climb up on the trees has a big bushy tail. Nothing. He eats nuts. Nothing. By and by, a little boy in the back row sort of put his hand up like this. He said, yes, young man, what is it? He said, I know the answer's Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> so I want you to know off the top that the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Even if it sounds like a squirrel when I'm done preaching, the answer is Jesus. I want you to turn in your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, Lincoln asked me if I if I had a PowerPoint presentation. I don't even know what that means. So I don't have a PowerPoint presentation, but I gave him liberty to put up there whatever he thinks fits while I'm preaching. So who knows what'll happen. First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, I hope you have your Bible. It's so important to have and know the Word of God. We're so privileged to have the Word of God. Some of you have it attached to your phone. So you can be looking at your phone, texting, and all kinds of things while I'm preaching, and I won't know. But God knows, all right? So just keep that in mind. All right. So I want to preach today. I want to speak to you today. I want to share with you today from the Scriptures, and I want to talk about the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. And I take my text from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ, Paul writes this, and he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. I'll read that again. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? We need to pray. Father, thank you so much 
Thank you for your word today. Thank you for this gathering together of believers. Thank you for those who may be among us who aren't believers, but have come out to hear your word. And frankly, Father, if your word is not heard today, this will just simply be a waste of time. If, if all the people here is my voice, this will be a colossal waste of time. And so we ask, Lord, that your word would be heard. We pray that your Holy Spirit will take your word and apply it to our hearts, the speaker and those who are listening. And may someone today, someone in this gathering, come to an understanding of what the cross of Christ really means. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does the cross mean to you? I ask that question. What does the cross mean to you? In my youth, when I was young, and I was young at one time, when I was young, I used to sing in a group. I, I used to be able to sing. And I, and I was in this group. There were four of us. We were a quartet. None of us sang parts, really, but we called ourselves a quartet because there were four of us. And we called ourselves the Noblemen, the Noblemen Quartet. And we would travel around, and at that time in the history of Christianity, way back in the Dark Ages, we used to do stuff called coffee houses. And they were big at that time, back in the 70s. And we would go from place to place, from coffee house to coffee house, and sometimes those coffee houses were in the basements of churches, sometimes they were in halls, community halls, sometimes they are in universities. I've sung at Mount St. Vincent University and Acadia University, U-Hall. And uh, what's this got to do with the cross? Well, I used to wear one around my neck, right? It was, you know, I had a little piece of rawhide around my neck, and at the end of it was a wooden cross. And, and that was an identification of a sorts of who I belonged to. Everybody in our little quartet had a cross of some kind, either a wooden one or a metal one, and it identified, or we felt as though it did anyway, us with the Lord Jesus, right? And you've seen crosses all over the place. Sometimes you're driving along and you'll see a cross on the top of a steeple, and you say, oh, that's probably a church over there. It used to be. Now it's a condominium or something, but it, it used to be a church. We identify the cross with Christianity, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see crosses on people's earrings sometimes, or on necklaces. Sometimes you'll see them on tattoos on their arms. Some of the people who have the worst language in the world have crosses tattooed to their arms, right? It's an emblem. Sometimes the emblem has meaning to the individual wearing it, and sometimes it's totally meaningless. So I want to ask you this morning, what does the cross mean to you? What does the cross of Christ specifically mean to you? Rather than a, a, a steeple or a, um, a necklace or something like that, what does the cross of Christ mean to you? I want to talk about, and I'm going to break this message down into three parts so that you'll know where I'm going and you'll know when I got there, okay? The first thing is I'm going to talk about the preeminence of the cross. Then I'm going to talk about the power of the cross, and I'm going to talk about the person of the cross. The preeminence, the power, and the person of the cross. So first of all, let's talk about the preeminence of the cross. In chapter 1, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize. Now you might think, well, that's an odd way for Paul to speak. Why would he say that? Why would he say, Christ has not sent me to baptize? Is there something wrong with baptism? 
He was not saying there was something wrong with baptism. He was just saying that baptism isn't the priority. Some people make baptism the priority, don't they? When a little baby's born into the world, they rush that little baby off to the priest or the bishop or someone and get water sprinkled on the baby because they think that by doing so, they will have saved that little baby. But Paul wanted people to know that his priority was not to baptize. He did baptize some people, but it was not his priority. That's not the priority. The priority is the cross, right? And Paul wanted to make sure that people didn't misunderstand about baptism. You know, baptism is good and right in its place. But its place is not at the front. Its place is afterwards. The front of all of this is, is for us to come to a realization that we're sinners. And that we need a Savior. And after repentance of our sins and faith in the Savior, then it's right and true to be baptized. But baptism will not save you. Baptism will not bring you, get you forgiveness of sins. It, it, it will not get you a right relationship with God. It will not enhance your relationship with God even after you're saved. All baptism will get you is wet. Totally. If you, if you happen to believe in total immersion, you get wet. I, I'm here to testify about that. I can remember years ago, like, I grew up, and this is, I'm supposed to take my name tag off because it can be distracting. Um, I grew up in, a, in a, a little community called Glenwood, and there was one church in that little community. It was a Baptist church, and if you understand Baptist, you, you understand they believe in baptism, right? And in the era that I grew up in, when you turned 12 or 13 years old, it was time. It was time. You're supposed to get baptized now, right? Because that's what you did. You got baptized and you joined the church. And I remember the pastor of the church at that time, the little church that I went to, his name was Maitland Jones. What mother names her child Maitland, <laughs> right? Maitland Jones. And he was a dear old soul. And when I say old, the emphasis is on that word old. He should have retired probably decades ago right? Snow white hair, a, a, a beautiful, wonderful old fellow. And I remember one day we were, we were getting together for youth group, young people. And I was, I was there and, and a whole bunch of other young people. And we were waiting for Pastor Jones to come and sort of lead this thing. And we, we struck up the idea that we, we'd have a baseball game while we're waiting. So there's a little field by the church. It's in the country. So the little field by the church, and we set up, we got some rocks, and we made a home plate in first base, second base, third base, and we stationed ourselves around, and we, we started to play the game. Well, while we're playing our game of baseball, Maitland Jones came along in his little Vauxhall car, and he puttered into the churchyard, and he got out of the car, and we thought, well, this is the end of our game. But Mr. Jones came out, and of course he had his black suit, white shirt, and tie, because he was coming to youth group, and he came, he came out, and, and uh, we, we thought, well, this is, it wasn't over because Mr. Jones, Pastor Jones, wanted to play. He'd never played baseball before. So what do you do? Well, you try and hit the ball. So we gave him the bat, and he had his hands crossed and all kinds of things, but finally he got it right. He stood up to the plate, pitcher threw the ball, and crack. Never played it before. First swing, way out yonder in the field. He stood there and looked at it, and we said, run, pastor, run. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. So, so Mr. Jones started running. Now, he had beautiful black polished shoes on. 
the, the bottoms of those shoes are just as flat as they could be and smooth. And that hay field had just been mowed. There are little bits of hay around. So he started, his legs started pumping for all he was worth, but he wasn't making any, any headway. He was just spinning. Then all at once, he just went face first into the turf, and time stood still. And all of us out there in the field wanted for all our lives to laugh. It was hilarious, but we thought he was dead. So we didn't laugh. We just, we just stood there and looked. And in that moment, frozen in time, we're standing, you know, we're all looking. I'm on first base, and I'm just looking. You know, he didn't know where to run. He was just running, right? He just running, and he fell. And, and I thought he's dead. And so we looked at him, and the, as fast as that man fell down, he sprung up again. Where do I run to, he said. Run to Clyde. Run to Clyde. So he ran to first base, and he got to me. He said, now what do I do? I said, and the people were still fumbling around the ball out in the field. I said, keep going, Pastor. Keep going. So we ran. We had a great time with that old guy. A great time. Weeks later, the Vauxhall, this is after the game in the youth group. I'm at home, and the Vauxhall drives into our yard. I'm 13 years old. Vauxhall drives into the yard. Out of the Vauxhall gets Brother Jones, Pastor Jones, and he's got a blue robe wrapped over his arm. I knew exactly what that meant. It's time. I knew that he was coming because he wanted me to get baptized. And I did what any good 13-year-old would do. I ran and hid. He came in and he gave the robe to mom and she tried to explain what happened to her son. She didn't know where he was. And, and uh, they intended that I should get baptized. But you know what? I didn't. And I'm so glad I didn't. Because I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. You can't put baptism ahead of salvation. Baptism is fine and right in its own place as an act of obedience, as a believer, but not ahead of things. And Paul said, I did not come to baptize. I, Christ did not send me to baptize. Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Isn't that wonderful? To know that God has sent you to preach the gospel. Lots of times I remember, I taught school for a while, and I remember that the kids would come to me, I taught high school. So in high school you're thinking, what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to do? Right? And I had lots of good kids that would come to me and say, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. Taught in a Christian school. I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I understand that. You know what God wants you to do with your life? He wants you to preach the gospel. Now, you might not go and preach the gospel like John and, and Warren and some of the others do out on the open streets. That might not be your thing, right? But he wants you to preach the gospel. He wants you to take the good news of Jesus Christ to people who don't know. And wherever those people might be, that's where you go. Where has he sent you? Paul was sent to, to the Gentiles and to kings and to the Jewish people of Israel. Yeah, he was sent to those people. Maybe you're not sent to those people, but you're sent to somebody. To preach the gospel. You're not there to talk to them about church. You're not there to talk to them about getting baptized or, or reforming their lives. You're there to talk to them about the cross of Christ. He sent me to preach the gospel. Look at it with me. Chapter 1, verse 17. He has sent me to preach the gospel. Now, why, Paul, why do you say not to baptize? Because if you read the context of that verse... You read verses 10 to 16, you'll see that there were divisions in the church at Corinth. People were lining up under different leaders. They're saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, Peter, I'm of Christ. 
right? And the church was being divided into groups of people who said, I follow this one, I follow this one, I follow this one. And Paul said, no, wait a minute, no, wait. No, did I, did I baptize, are you baptized in the name of Paul? Did Paul die for you? No. So Christ did not send me to baptize people. He sent me to preach. Thank God, he says in verse 14, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. What a thing to say, except for Christmas and games. What a thing to say, I was a Stephanus. What a, what a thing to say, I didn't baptize any of you. Thank God I didn't, but I preached the gospel to you. That's the important thing, I preached the gospel to you. Christ did not send me to baptize. That's the context. That's the context. Now, if Paul did not baptize, what did Christ send him to do but to preach the gospel? This is of first importance. That's our commission. That's our calling, to preach the gospel. Not all are evangelists, but all are witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I want you to see, and you might be saying, well, Brother Clyde, I, you know what? Um, I, just, I don't know what to say. I just simply don't know what to say. When somebody comes along and I have an opportunity, I just don't know what to say. Isn't it great? Look at this passage. It'll show you something, something really wonderful. How are we to preach? How did Paul preach? Now, here's some good news for you and for me. He says, not in cleverness of speech. Latter part of verse 17. Not in cleverness of speech. You don't have to be clever. Isn't that great? I've never been accused of being clever. Never. And you don't have to be clever in order to present the gospel of Christ. Isn't that great? You don't have to have your head full of all kinds of information. You don't, you don't have to have a quick turn of phrase on the tip of your tongue. The gospel of Christ is simple. Make it simple. Make it clear. Make it plain, as I'll hope to do in a few minutes with you. Not in cleverness of speech. The Greek there is Sophia Logos. Wisdom words, the King James says. Wisdom of words. Worldly wise words. God doesn't want us to be worldly wise. God doesn't want us to be sophisticated when we present the gospel. Why, Paul? Why not? So that the cross of Christ would not be made void or empty. Most of what is propounded today as being gospel is long on worldly wisdom and short on the cross of Christ, isn't it? If you're listening to people who are... Who are Proposing that they're preaching the gospel. There's a lot of philosophy in there. There's a lot of psychology in there. And that's the wisdom of the world. We are warned in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. There's a warning. And the philosophies and the psychologies of this world are contrary to the Word of God. They're contrary to the message of the gospel. Their whole premise, the premise is wrong. They're built on a foundation of no God. And if you seek to live according to those philosophies, built on a foundation of no God, you're going to go astray. The Word of God and the Word of God alone must guide us in these things. Listen to what Dr. John MacArthur Jr. writes about this. I thought this was great. God's word is the only true wisdom and is all the wisdom that is reliable and needed. All the truth, the truth about where we came from, why we're here and where we're going, all the truth that God intends for us to have and that we need is there in the Bible. 
It needs no addition of human wisdom, which always falls short of his word and most often contradicts or distorts it. Scripture stands alone, reliable, sufficient, and complete. Do you believe that? Scripture stands alone, reliable, sufficient, and complete. All that we need is in this book. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, it's right here in this book. We just have to go to it. We just have to ask God to reveal to our minds and our hearts what it is he wants us to know. Paul says, I will not preach in cleverness of speech in worldly wise words, Sophia Logos. I will not use that kind of terminology, that kind of language. I will preach otherwise so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Void. Preaching filled with philosophies and psychologies of the day only make empty, void, the gospel of its simplicity and power. To preach the word of philosophy would make the cross of Christ of no value. It would empty it. The new NIV says it would empty it of its power. It would deprive it of its purpose. It would make it hollow. It would make it pointless. There is no point to the cross in the wisdom of this world. The Roman governor, Festus, was interviewing Paul, the apostle, one day, and Paul was preaching to him and to King Agrippa and to his wife, Bernice. And he was explaining to them about Jesus Christ dying for their sins and being raised again, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Festus burst out and said, Paul, you are mad. Much learning has made you mad. That's the wisdom of the world. That's how the world would see us when we proclaim the gospel of Christ. I don't suppose anybody's ever called you mad. Have they, John? Or Warren? <laughs> crazy. Crazy. Yeah, we wouldn't say mad today. We'd say, you're crazy. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if they think you're mad because they have the wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of God is totally contrary to this. If you read on in the text, you'll see that that's true. The wisdom of God is totally contrary to the wisdom of the world. Which wisdom is the right wisdom? Which wisdom is true? Which wisdom really is wisdom? The wisdom of God. God knows. He established wisdom. I want you to see that in this passage of Scripture, let's go to verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. I want you to notice the words, to whom this gospel is foolish. It is to those who are what? Perishing. I hear you whispering. They're perishing. That's a cruel word, isn't it? You know what? Sometimes... You know, sometimes when people turn on you and call you crazy or a fool, sometimes the flesh sort of wells up a little bit. We don't like to be called that, do we? Sometimes the flesh wells up a little bit, and we feel a little angry maybe. But if we remember this verse, the word of the cross, the message of the cross, the word, word there is the message, what the cross is about if the word of the cross is foolishness, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, isn't it? And it will turn our hearts 
from indignancy to anguish if we look at those people as people who are perishing. They're perishing. What a tragedy. God give us tears, right, for people who are perishing. How unlike our master we are when our anger is high but our eyes are dry, right? Keith Green wrote a song. He said, my eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. May we be dead to ourselves and alive to the Lord and be able to see past the taunting, past the words of abuse and see that these people are perishing. Paul said, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but, 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 what is it to those who are being saved? It is the power of God. What a contrast. To those who are being saved, it is the power of God. When I think of the power of God, when I think of power, I'll tell you another story. When I was a uh, as a kid, I worked, my, my, my dad had a farm, and, and I worked on the farm. And I remember being out in the, in the hayfield, and uh, the word for power here in the Greek is, is the Greek word dunamos, which is the word from which we get the word dynamite. And I remember <clears throat> being out in the hayfield, and it come to the end of the day, and I, was, I had worked all day long, and I was, I was beat. I was just a kid, and I was beat. And I remember two guys drove up on motorcycles, <clears throat> uh, Clayton and Havelock Goodwin. And uh, we called Clayton Kippy, and we called Havelock Quarter Hitch. Everybody had a different name in our village. And, and uh, Dad said, would one of you guys take my son home? He's dead beat. He just needs to go home, have something to eat, and go to bed. And so Kippy said, I'll take him home. And uh, my first ride on a motorcycle. And Kippy cranked that thing up. It was a Honda 50. So it sounded more like a, a lawnmower being revved up, you know? A little, and, and I climbed on the back of that, and, and before I got on the back, Kip, he, he turned his head around, a great big grin on his face, and he said, pure power. <laughs> pure power. Honda 50. And off we went, but, 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 down the road for home. It was better than walking, but not a lot. So he got me home. Pure power. Listen, the power of God is different than that. When we think of God, when we think of the creative power, think of the creative power of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think of that. Think of the earth. Just think of the earth. And then think of the heavens. Think of the heavens. You, you know what? There are 100 billion stars in the Milky Way. That's our galaxy. 100 billion stars. We can see just a small portion of them with the naked eye. Probably if you go out on the night and you started counting stars, you'd get up to about 3,000 that you can see. All right? There are 100 billion out there. We can't see them. And you know what? The Milky Way is only one of two trillion galaxies. Two trillion that are observable to mankind. And scientists believe there's probably more out there, but we just don't have the technology to see it. God made that. And I love it in, first, in, in uh, the first chapter of Genesis where, where God says that he made the two lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then he says as a footnote, oh yeah, and he made stars also. He made the stars also. You know, no big deal. When we think of the power of God and we think of his majestic power of creation, we think, man, that is awesome. But you know what God describes as powerful in his word? Right here. To us who are being saved, 
That's the power of God. When God can take a guilty, vile, wretched sinner like me and like you and make him a child of God, that's power. That's real power. I, I can't do that for you. I can't make you a child of God. I can't make you one whit better. But God can make you his child. Take you from a child of the devil to a child of God. From a worm on the one hand to a prince on the other. God can do that. That's powerful, isn't it? That's the power of God. For us who believe, the message of the cross to those who are perishing is foolishness. But to those of us who believe, it's the power of God. The very power of God. How do you describe it? How do you magnify it? How do you, well, not magnify it. How do you delineate the power of God? And upon whom does God exert this life-changing power? Verse 21. For since the wisdom of God, the, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached, the message of the cross, to save those who believe. The power of the cross is to save those who believe. The power. The preeminence of the cross is that it has first place over everything else. The power of the cross is it has the ability to take us and to make us the children of God. And then we come finally to the person of the cross. The person of the cross. Verse 22 says, For Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The person of the cross. You know what? There would be no power in the cross if it weren't for the person of the cross, right? If there were no Lord Jesus Christ who had hung upon that cross, there would be no power for salvation. If there were no Lord Jesus Christ who hung on that cross, there'd be no preeminence of the cross. The cross would be nothing. It would be hollow. It would be meaningless. But the person of the cross was none other than the very Son of God. God made flesh. And when he hung on that cross, he hung there. Not for his own sins. He hung there for yours. There were three people crucified on crosses that day that we know about. There are probably more. The Romans crucified Hundreds of thousands on crosses. Cross is not an unusual thing in those days. It was not. But the cross of Christ, well, that's far different. Because all those other people hung on crosses as sinners. He hung on the cross sinless. The hymn writer wrote, three crosses standing side by side. Oh, what a sight sublime. Two for their own transgressions died. The middle one for mine, for yours. Do you realize that? The cross of Christ was the cross upon which you should have hung, but he took your place. And God's plan of salvation was that he should do that. God's way of saving us from the penalty of our sins for the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, who died in our place on the cross of, of Calvary, the cross of Christ. He paid your penalty. And the whole point of this message is to get to that. That Christ died on the cross for your sins. And all God requires is that you realize that. That you have no hope of salvation apart from that. The only way God can accept you is not through baptism. It's not through church membership. It's not through doing good deeds. It's not through any of that stuff. That will not help you in the least whit. It won't. 
the only thing that can avail between you and God is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your sins. That's truth. That's the reality. That's where the power is. That's why it's preeminent. That's why it should be preached to every creature that they might know. I want to ask you a question. In the verses that we read, it spoke about those who are perishing. And it spoke about those of us who believe. Those who are perishing and those of us who believe. You're either in one or or the other of those two groups. What does the cross mean to you? You can tell which group you're in by what that cross means to you. If it is the power of God unto salvation, chances are you're a believer. But if it's foolishness, it's because you are perishing. You don't want to perish. You don't want that. God doesn't want that. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you. Trust him as your savior. And you'll see the power of God to lift you out of the quagmire of sin and set your feet upon a rock. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing your gospel today. Thank you for the cross of Christ. It is the power, it has the power, the, the, the message, the word of the cross has the power as it is applied by your Holy Spirit to hearts to save all who believe. And we pray that there might be somebody in this auditorium today who would be saved, who would believe. And we pray that those of us who know, those of us who have believed, that we would make the preaching of the cross our priority. That we would tell others about him who loved and died for them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are we going to sing? All right, so the, the people who do 